Canaan. It's all about Jesus. It's not about religion, it's about relationships. Where beginners are welcome. Where forgiveness is offered. Where hope is alive. And it's okay to not be okay. It's great to see everyone. Already been a, a great day of worship, and uh, really appreciate our worship team so much. They, they do such a great job just leading us into worship, and I just am so thankful for them. If you have your Bible, go to the Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter 19 today, as we are uh, beginning a brand new series. Uh, this series is on hot topics with Jesus. So just looking at the New Testament, some of the, the hot issues of Jesus' day that he dealt with, and that we, still, we see are still hot topics today in our culture and in our time. So uh, we're going to be looking at uh, things like today, we're looking at marriage and divorce, and Next week, we're looking at sexual sin, and then we'll be looking at this, this audacious claim that Jesus has that he is the only way. It's called the exclusivity. It's a big word, but exclusivity of Christ. And then we'll look at uh, issues of faith and government and how those two collide. And so we're going to be looking at that this month, and so that's going to carry us through the month of March as we just see Jesus' tough teaching on various topics. And um, all of them are going to be interesting, um, controversial all of them are going to bear some emotion because, especially like today, we're, we're dealing with marriage and divorce. And, you know, it's probably church our size, both those that are here and watching online, you know, some, some of our couples are having troubles right now. And so I pray that today is a message and a, and a text that really steers you in seeking reconciliation because marriage is worth living for. And as you see in the case of Christ, even worth dying for. Um, but there's also, some of you have already been divorced, and so this brings up all those memories and, you know, just such a hard thing to go through. So uh, we're going to be looking at this today. Sexual sin next week, you know, that's something that is a really a, a, a stronghold and addiction in our culture. And so we'll be looking at various kinds of sexual sin next week and what Jesus says about that and, you know, what the path to healing and repentance and all that looks like in there Exclusivity is becoming a, a hotter and hotter topic, even in Christianity, surprisingly, uh, as many and many more groups are saying that Jesus is not the only way. But the clear teaching of Scripture is Jesus is the only way, and that's not us being arrogant. We're going to unpack that to see what Jesus meant by that and why that's, that's the case. And then faith in government, you know, how, does, how do we, we kind of talked about this back in January a little bit, but we're going to touch on this more. How do we as followers of Jesus what does is, what is submission to government look like? When is that appropriate? When is it appropriate to not submit? Um, how do we balance the demands of, of government with the demands of faith? And how do we process that as followers of Jesus? Which, you know, we never know when the, when the shoe's going to fall, right? When things may get really hot for Christians here. We may become a very persecuted land like many other places in the nation or in the world. We just don't know when that's going to happen. So are we ready for that? So a lot of things to, to cover this month. So today we're, we're looking at this this tough topic of marriage and divorce. And Jesus has some very clear words on this. And, you know, I just want to share, just kind of want to open up with some statistics. Statistics, that's how you say that word. Um, and so, some good news. The divorce rate is actually falling in the United States. That's great, right? Yeah, absolutely. I think that deserves an applause. That's good. Uh, we kind of hit our apex in the 80s and 90s and began to trend back downward in our divorce rates. But we celebrate that, absolutely. But that's also a negative reason for that. And that's this next slide. It's actually the marriage rate is also declining. Fewer people are just getting married, which, which is scary. That's, that's, 
It's probably as alarming, if not sometimes even more alarming than the divorce rate happening. That's because we have devalued marriage. You know, couples aren't seeing the need to get married like they used to. And so let me just, um, just one observation as a pastor as we are on the beginning of this message, especially to, this, the, well, to, to both guys and gals. This kind of leads more toward the gals, the ladies. When you're in a relationship and you're not married yet, you're in a relationship, there is that pressure in our culture today, a very sex-crazed culture today. There is this pressure for the ladies to compromise and to give themselves to the guy before they're married sexually. Well, when you do that, what does the guy need? What does he lack, right? You I mean, you're, you're not saving anything. You're not, you're not, not honoring marriage is the time when the procreation and the sexual union is supposed to happen for the God's word. And we'll look at that today and next week. You know, you're going ahead and giving him uh, what, what he's really looking forward to in the marriage context, among other things, right? So you're preempting that. And so because of those kind of things, people just aren't getting married like they used to and since the marriage rate has fallen, the divorce rate has also fallen. But if you look at it kind of comparatively, it's still a scary trend that we're seeing. That, and the trend is just nationwide. It's not just marriages. It's in defining family, et cetera. There is just a war against this concept of marriage and family, according to God's word. So we're going to look at this to unpack what is God's teaching on all this. So we're going to be in Matthew 19 today. Uh, Jesus is going to be in this conversation with these religious people who they're ultimately they have, they have negative intentions, ill intentions toward Jesus, trying to trap him, trying to test him. And so they throw up some, some different data for Jesus to, to process, and he, and he does this. But in so doing, he also teaches us some very clear truth on marriage and divorce. So um, let's stand in on the reading of God's Word. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 19. We're going to start with verse 3 and go through verse um, probably around verse 10, actually verse 9. We'll stop at verse 9. So verse 3. So some Pharisees, those are those religious guys that were very legalistic. Some Pharisees approached Jesus to test him, and they asked, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife on any grounds? Haven't you read, Jesus replied, that he who created them in the beginning made them male and female. And he also said, for this reason a man will, have his, will leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, man must not separate. Why then, they asked him, did Moses command us to give divorce papers and to send her away? And he told them, Moses permitted you to divorce your wives because of the hardness of your hearts. But it was not like that from the beginning. And I tell you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for just clearly teaching us on this difficult topic. And, and God, I know that uh, both here in the room and watching online right now, that um, experientially, that, Lord, we have all of this uh, among us where there are those who are very blessed to right now be happily married. God, but we know that there are those who are married right now, but it's just hard and there's struggles. And, and God, perhaps there's been breach of trust and deception. And, and Lord, we also know that there are those here watching who have been through a divorce and if and live through that nightmare, that pain, uh, the agony, God, the, the guilt and the 
anger and all that go, all those emotions that go into all that we go through in a divorce and, and God, into there's many others that have been affected by divorce, whether it's children whose parents have gotten divorced or parents who watch their children go through divorces or um, we have siblings and family members with divorce. God, it's just, it's painful. And so, Lord, I thank you that your teaching on this is clear. God, help us to navigate this today um, with all the emotions that go with this. And Lord, I pray that through this, that we, we meet with you in a powerful way, a way that brings restoration, but God, a way that also brings clarity. And, and Lord, I know right now there, there might be some who are on the verge of just throwing in the tile of their marriage and saying, I'm done. And I pray, God, that you would just overwhelm them with, God, a recognition on how incredible marriage can be, but Lord, how holy marriage is and how much you honor marriage and that, Lord, we are to all of us to aspire to honor that with you. So, Lord, I just pray to use this time for your purpose um, to accomplish in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks. Go ahead and be seated. So, we're first going to talk about marriage, you know, and, and, and briefly, to do a whole series on just what is marriage. There's so much there, but what is it and why it's so important to God and therefore why is it so important for us to highly esteem marriage, even in a culture that is progressively diminishing the value and the sanctity of marriage. So number one, and it's what we're going to accomplish today, is embracing God's attitude about marriage. What does God think about marriage? Why does God think a mar marriage is so important? So we're going to look at that. Uh, we First of all, the first thing we see that marriage is a covenant. It's a covenant in Scripture. And a covenant is always a big deal with God. So for those of you who have given your life to Christ, you have trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, and then you followed through to tell the world that by being baptized, you know, that's, that is a celebration of what's called the new covenant. That is a, a, an agreement that we, the people, have with God, that God has with us, that God promises us to rescue us, to ultimately and totally save us once we place our faith and trust in Jesus and then live and follow him. And his, that's an agreement, right? So it's a covenant, and that's a great covenant, amen? And we demonstrate our commitment to that covenant through baptism. That's our demonstration, our public display of the faith that we have. That's an important thing, covenant. The Bible's full of covenants. In the Old Testament, we have a covenant with, that God makes with Abraham. God shows up on the scene to Abraham in, in Genesis chapter 12, and he says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Through you, all the nations of the world are going to be blessed. I will bless those who bless you. It was just incredible. You know, in Abraham, he, he believed God. He said he believed, he trusted God, and so God accredited him that as righteousness. And then they had this ceremony. God kind of enacts this ceremony, which was very common in ancient days. For us, it is super weird. Have you ever read through the Old Testament? It goes, man, that's, that's just some weird stuff. Anybody ever read that? Like, that's just weird. Well, this is one of those weird things that they would do in Old Testament time. Whenever there was a, a covenant made with God, or even by, from nation to nation, like a treaty, they would have this, this covenantal ceremony. Here's what they would do in this ceremony. And if you've been here a while, you, you've heard this, but um, they would take these animals, and they, it's, it's gory, but they would cut these animals in half, and they would set them opposite each other. So you'd have half the cow here, half the cow there, half a goat, half a goat, right? And the blood, they would kind of put them on the side of a hill, make this little trench, and the blood would flow into this trench, and that would be called the blood path. 
And so what happens in these two parties, like if it was two nations, two kings, the two kings would, would kind of get together, they would lock arms, they would walk the blood path together. And that was very symbolic, very visual, simply saying this, if I don't live up to my part of this covenant, may I become like these animals. So it's a very visual reminder on what's going to happen to me as a king if I don't live up to my part of this arrangement. So God makes his covenant with Abraham. And then, cool, in a cool way, God walks through the blood path, and then he goes through the blood path again for Abraham, because he knows Abraham cannot live up to perfect obedience. It's just a great picture of the gospel, which is why we need Christ, right? But that's the idea of covenant. The word covenant literally means to cut, so to cut a deal is kind of the phrase that's come out of this meaning of covenant, where they would cut the animals. Well, God brings that language into marriage. Marriage is a covenant. Not just between a husband and a wife, but also between the husband and wife and God himself. In fact, in Malachi chapter 2, God comes on the scene and, and the people are, uh, he, he's kind of rebuking the people because they haven't been faithful to God. And the people are wondering, why hasn't God blessed them? Well, he says, you ask, for what reason? And here's God's answer. Here's the reason God had withheld blessing from his people in the Old Testament time. He says, because the Lord has been a witness between you, talking to the men, and the wife of your youth. You have acted treacherously against her, although she was your marriage partner and your wife by covenant. What was this treacherous action that these men had done? They had divorced their wives. So God saw this as treacherous and in fact, because of that treachery, God was withholding blessing from them because it was a covenant. And a covenant is a big deal with God. Secondly, marriage is a symbol. A lot of powerful symbology. You know, if you, if you go through the New Testament and through all the scripture, God gives us a lot of different metaphors and analogy for us to understand what we are as a church. You know, like God gives us in through Paul in 1 Corinthians 12, that the church is a body. Y'all read that before? It's a great chapter to read, 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul says, you know, why should the eye say to the hand, I have no use of you? That's ludicrous, because every individual part of the body is important to the body's function as a whole. And so that's a message about the body of Christ. So we're the body, we're the body of Christ. That's, that's one metaphor. Another metaphor that Jesus uses is we're his flock. You know, he's our shepherd, we're the sheep. And therefore, we need the good shepherd to lead us, to care for us, to protect us. And we as the sheep, we just need to follow the shepherd. That's a powerful metaphor. A lot of metaphors in the Bible. But did you know that one metaphor for the church is the bride of Christ? And so here's a very powerful one that Jesus here uses the church and us and his relationship to us as the church um, is, a, is, a, is a powerful truth. And the marriage that we have with our spouses is supposed to be a picture to help us better understand a relationship with Jesus. You get into Ephesians chapter 5, and Paul's teaching, um, ultimately teaching about Christ in the church, but it has husband-wife implications. Like he says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loves the church. Y'all remember that verse? Y'all read that verse before? Yeah, and he kind of goes in, he finishes this, that section saying this right here. He says, for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, right? So Jesus just quoted that too, and be joined to his wife. And the two will become one flesh. And this mystery is profound, but I am talking about Christ and the church. And so our marriages is one of the strongest tools, the strongest pictures, the strongest experiences that God gives us in order for us to better understand 
a relationship with Christ. And so you look at our earthly marriages. You know, some of you that are married or some of you that have been married, maybe you are divorced or maybe your loved one has passed on to be with Jesus. But look, what, what have you learned about our relationship with Jesus through that relationship? You might have had some negative experiences. Well, it's good to know Jesus is not going to treat you the way that the ex-spouse did. That's good news, amen? But he's going to love you anyway. He's going to love you through that. And if you've suffered the death of a, of a spouse, Jesus is never going to leave you because he's all-powerful and almighty. He's even going to, if your spouse was a believer, he's going to raise your spouse back up too. This is awesome, right? There's so many things that we can learn. We learn about intimacy, not, not in a physical sense with Jesus, obviously, but in the sense that we are just completely transparent with him. He knows everything about us. You know, one thing I've learned being married 26 years is just when I think I know everything about my wife, she surprises me. And usually it's a really good surprise, right? It always is. It's a good surprise. But you just, you live 26 years like, oh, wow, I never knew that about you. It's awesome. But then with me, she's getting to know me more through 26 years and starting something else. She's like, oh, good grief, right? You know, but she loves me anyway. That's good. Some people would bail, but, you know, she's been faithful and hung in there. Jesus already knows everything about you and has already chosen to love you anyway. He's already chosen to die for you, to take your place on the cross, to take our punishment, our chastisement, our shame, our guilt, everything that we go through in this life that's sinful and consequence of sin. He has borne it all for us. We're free just to love him and be loved by him and to be with him forever. Isn't that great news? Well, our marriages teach us some things about that. It teaches us how great Jesus is because our spouse is not Jesus, right? You are not married to a perfect person. And I know when, when for those that are married, when we stand on the altar and we, we take our vows, none of us are thinking, I am marrying a horrible, wretched sinner, Right, we just don't think about things like that. You know, it's, it's all the positive, the romantic stuff, right? But in truth, we are marrying wretched sinners, you know, and they are marrying one too. So we gotta keep that in mind. But this marriage is a strong symbol to point us. So, so therefore, it is sacred with God. Anything that God has given us in creation, in relationship, that points us to God is holy and sacred to God. This is also why murder is such a wicked thing because it's a destruction of an image bearer of God. And so marriage is sacred because it is the picture of our relationship with Christ. God used this in the Old Testament too. He often referred to Israel, said you're, you've played the role of the harlot, the prostitute, because you have left me to go worship false gods. And even he wanted to make this such a strong point that one time he told this prophet named Hosea to go and marry a prostitute. Anybody know what her name is? Gomer. Awful name. I don't think I would even name my dog that. But anyway, this woman's name was Gomer. And so Hosea, he goes and marries Gomer because God wanted to use Hosea and Gomer as a picture of God in Israel. Their marriage reflected God's marriage to Israel. So it's just language is all through Scripture that this is so symbolic. This is why marriage is so precious, so holy to God. Because it is letter C, marriage is sacred. Oh, the word sacred means set apart. You know, you think about the order of things in which God created. Before God created government, before God created school and education, before God even started the church, before he even had his people, the, the nation of Israel, before any of that happened, very, 
Immediately in the Garden of Eden, God created marriage. It is his first institution. It's set apart. And the biblical writers, they, they recognize how holy and sacred marriage is. And the author of Hebrews says marriage is honorable among all, right? Among all, all people groups. If you go, no matter what culture you're in, even if it's a pagan, ungodly culture, they're still going to have a recognition of marriage and understand the importance of marriage and family. It is a foundational reality in human life, in human existence, all throughout history. Because God created that in the very beginning. So it's to be set apart. It's to be held honorable among all. And thus, with, with this, honoring it goes the warning from Hebrews that in the bed, the marriage bed, this is the sexual part, is to be kept undefiled. It is holy and sacred. And then the warning, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge, right? And so fornicators is sexual immorality outside of marriage, and adultery, of course, is breaking the marriage covenant by pursuing those outside of the marriage covenant. So it's a strong warning because God wants us to make sure we keep marriage honored. And in our culture, it's becoming increasingly difficult. But we've got to stay true to the Word of God. So how do we do that? Number two, we submit to God's Word on the teaching of divorce and marriage and even remarriage. So embrace God's attitude about marriage and then submit to God's word. So the Bible says, Jesus, Jesus says it here, he quotes from Genesis, where it says that a man and woman will leave father and mother and be joined together. The two become one. Genesis chapter two. Jesus also tells us this in Mark chapter 10. And we also see in like Malachi 2, God hates divorce, and that's why it's part of the reason why, because he holds it so sacredly. Um, but also, we'll get to another reason here in a minute, because there's so much other sin that goes into bringing divorces about. But divorce in God's eyes, is, is, it's not an option with only a few exceptions to that, that Jesus mentions one of those here. And even in these exceptions, forgiveness and reconciliation are always best, if possible. So, we see God's word here. I hate divorce, says the Lord God of Israel. Mark chapter 10 Jesus says to them, whoever divorces his wife and marries another woman commits adultery against her. And if she herself divorces her husband and marries another man, she is committing adultery as well. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 gives us that if any brother has a wife who is, not a who is, who is an unbeliever, not a believer, and she con uh, consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, he, she must not send her husband away. So these are the, some of the teachings on marriage and divorce. So what do we do with this? First is do not rebel against God on the issue of marriage and divorce. And it's hard to overstate how much God values marriage and therefore how much he hates divorce. He says, the divorce for unscriptural reasons and, un and remarry, here Jesus says, is to commit adultery. And yet many who profess Christianity still kind of play games with this, you know, and um, try to play games with God by, by divorcing and then just cruising along as if God didn't mind, if it's, God's okay with this. God is not okay with divorce. It's like he's not okay with all kinds of other sin. That's why G he sent Jesus to die on the cross for this. So many times um, they'll continue like everything is okay and it's just for your own sake. 
If you've been divorced and you've never really dealt with it with the Lord, um, just consider doing this because of, for your own sake, for your fellowship with the Lord perspective. We're going to talk about that in a second. Um, but, so that's, that's the tough one. This, the good news on the backside is divorce is not the unpardonable sin. So it's not that if you get divorced that you're just done. That's not, that's not the case either. Nowhere does Scripture say divorce uh, is the unpardonable sin. So let's just talk about this for a little bit. It's a little uncomfortable, but it's awkward. But sometimes the awkward things are the most important things to talk about. You know, like when you're with your kids and it's time to have the talk. That is awkward. But it is so important that they hear about sexuality from mom and dad and from Scripture not from pop culture, because they're going to hear it, right? Same is true for talking through divorce. So wherever you're at, if, if you're married and things are great, just listen, that's good. If you're married and you're struggling, really listen. This could be a, a, a powerful warning uh, on not taking steps you might be thinking of. If you have been divorced, this is also powerful, because what do you do now? How do you, what is the path back to a tight walk with Jesus through stuff that you go through uh, with divorce, because really the sin of divorce is merely the consequences of many other sins that has not been repented of, right? I mean, divorces don't just happen in a vacuum. There's a lot of things that have contributed. You know, maybe, maybe back a few years ago, he did something to break trust with her, or maybe she did something that was deceptive and deceived him, and so trust began to, to be kind of rattled some, and Time went on and there was some greed, so one spent money that they hadn't talked about or budgeted and becomes a source of contention and resentment from, from the other. Uh, you see, it just keeps piling up, doesn't it? It keeps piling up until finally it gets so, there's so much sin that's happened that hasn't been talked through, hasn't been repented of, hasn't been confession and pursuits of reconciliation, it just has built up and built up and built up until it just ultimately is going to culminate with divorce. So divorce in its own self is not, it's not just... I mean, it's, it's bad, but there was a whole lot of other contributors that led up to that point. And so what happens when you have the divorce, if there's not repentance for your contribution to that, you're simply going to take those sin into the next relationship. And that's why we see um, these, these different rates right here. We see 41% of first marriages in a divorce. That's good. It's gone down from 50, like 51 about a decade, two decades ago. So kind of on a good trend there. But look at this. Second marriages... 60%. So when you get married and then remarried, you're more likely to result in a divorce in the second marriage. And then you get to third marriages, you're at 73%. The reason is because what happened in that first marriage, there was not repentance. So you simply brought that into the second marriage along with your new spouse who brought their sin into this new marriage, right? And then the third, it goes on and on and on. So repentance, what do we do when we as believers, what do we do when we sin? We're supposed to do what? Repent. Just say the word with me. Repent. Repent is glorious. Repentance is holy to God, right? And all of us sin, so it's not a shocker. I mean, we all should be repenting. So whenever, whatever it is that we have done in a past, for those of you that are divorced, that you did in the past marriage that, that was a contributor to the divorce, please, for your own sake and for the sake of your current or future relationship, just repent. For, most of all, for your relationship with God, just repent. So let's walk through, what does that look like? The repenting from divorce. First of all, if you're divorced and you never repented, but now you're remarried, the answer is not to divorce your current spouse to try to go, that's, that's not the answer. 
Two wrongs don't make a right. Okay, so that's, that's not the answer. Secondly, repent for your sins that contributed to the divorce. You know, you, maybe you have time to prayerfully reflect on, okay, how did, how did I contribute? Not just what did he or she do, right? But what, what was my contribution to that? What did I do that built up over the years that ultimately led to part of leading to the culmination of this relationship ending? So repent for that, which involves confessing them to God. God already knows, but this is you coming, humbling yourself before God. And God, I acknowledge it. This is on me. This, is, this was my responsibility. This is what I did or didn't do in, the, in that marriage to honor you that did not honor you. So God, I, I confess that. And then ask for God's forgiveness. Isn't it great news that God forgives? I mean, we, we get so comfortable with that, we lose the, the pop. The, the wow, the awe that God would forgive us. I mean, like, like the psalmist says, who am I that God's even mindful of me, but let alone that God would forgive me. It's incredible. He will. First John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Beautiful picture of the gospel. Letter C, consider Confessing these sins to your ex-spouse and or children if they were involved and ask for their forgiveness. Be careful here. You don't want to suggest to your ex-spouse, especially if you're remarried, that you're thinking about that again. No. But you, perhaps it's something you need to do in your walk with God to be right with as much as we can each other. And then letter D, let God change your behavior so that those sins stop and you don't bring those into another relationship. Remember, repentance is about the change. It's not just about conviction. It's not just about acknowledging. It's not just about asking forgiveness. Repentance is the change, the transformation of behavior and thought processes, right? So go through that with the Lord. And if you need help on that, that's why we're here. We'd love to sit down with you and help you walk through this process of repentance. Because it's so important. It's so valuable. Third, is to ask God to forgive you and your ex-spouse to heal your hearts. Fourth, is forgive your ex-spouse. Maybe you were the, on the receiving end of adultery, or maybe you were um, a less contributor, but, or even if you were a contributor, he or she was a contributor too, they, they definitely did things that you need to forgive them for. That heals your heart with the Lord. And then number five, if possible, at some level, reconcile. Reconcile. The gospel is about reconciliation. That's always an idea to, to aspire to, to get to in our relationships. And then letter C. Realize that divorce has consequences. For those of you that are married and you're considering, divorce has consequences. Um, there's a reason that God is so, such a strong advocate for marriage and is so strongly against divorce because he knows what happens to us when we go through it. God's laws are never arbitrary. They're not random, not at all. You can look at all the Ten Commandments. All the Ten Commandments have such incredible purpose behind them. You know, like you asked the question, why does God say do not steal? What is God trying to communicate to us 
about our own lives, about our own well-being, about him and his character through a command like do not steal, he's teaching us, first of all, to be thankful with what we have because he has given us all things. When we steal from someone else, it's an act of ingratitude, first and foremost, to God to say, I am not happy with what I have. I want more. And you haven't given me what I think I deserve, so I'm just going to go take from this guy or that gal to, to get what I think I deserve and want. So it's, it's, it's not healthy. It's not good for us. So God knows this. You know, murder, we've already mentioned that. Why is murder such an evil, wicked thing? Because it's the destruction of an image bearer of God. So there's, God, none of God's laws are arbitrary. All of them have such rich meaning. So for, to recognize when God tells us to stay married, to focus, to work out your marriage, right, he does so for good reason because he knows there are some really tough consequences that happen as we go through. So um, just some, those of you that are married and here or watching, you're struggling, you're having some of these thoughts, let me just go through quickly just some of the statements that I have heard um, just in a few years of pastoring, you know, on people rationalizing, thinking why they would want to get out. And let me just kind of do some rebuttal on that. Um, so let's, uh, let me get there. Where is it? There we go. Common unbiblical reasons for, or excuses for divorce. Um, I did kind of skip some here. Let me go back and just get that real quick. So God does allow divorce for two primary reasons scripturally. Um, first is sexual immorality. Jesus mentions that. That is sexual unfaithfulness. That's infidelity. And Jesus says this, that he, that's, one of, that's his exception here in this passage in Matthew. Um, I tell you, whoever divorces a wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. The second is for an unbeliever that leaves. So this is covered by the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 7. The rest I say not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever, she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who is, has an unbelieving husband, and he consents to live with her, she must not put her husband away. Yet, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. So, it's important to caveat that. Some would ask also about um, physical abuse, which is an unfortunate, stark reality among us. Um, it's actually increased during the pandemic. So if that's going on, biblically, I believe separation is needed. The authorities need to be contacted. It is fine for the believers to call authorities. Some people say that we shouldn't do that. Yes, we should. In Acts 25, Paul is, is being accosted, and he refers to the authorities for his Roman citizenship. So if Paul can do that, it is fine to contact the authorities. In fact, you should. If you're being abused, it's usually husbands abusing wives. There are some cases where the wives abuse the husbands. But in those cases, the authorities need to be contacted. Also, some temporary separation needs to happen. So the abuser can start doing biblical counseling. There needs to be repentance there. But if the abuser does not repent, that could be a strong indication that that person might not genuinely be saved. And then it becomes, kind of defaults into an abandonment issue, which would fall under the second clause. So that's a big deal. God, it, it is just no, it's a wicked thing to abuse your spouse. It is a wicked, wicked thing. And if that's going on, you need to get help. Call the authorities. If you're the abuser, get help. You can't, you can't overcome this on your own. You need Jesus and counseling to overcome this. Um, love to help you with that. 
That is a big deal. But ladies, do not be afraid to call the authorities. No matter what threats have been made, call the authorities. Call them. Um, now, so some common unbiblical reasons or excuses for divorce. Um, the ones that I've heard. First, I married the wrong person. Let that settle for a minute. I married the wrong person. A lot of people think they have married the wrong person at some point in time. But divorcing that person does not make that all okay. Two wrongs, again, don't make it right. And you look at like David and Bathsheba. Bathsheba was the wrong person for King David. She was, she was Uriah's wife, and Uriah was a close friend of David. This is an awful story of what happened. I mean, David, he lusted after her. He sent for her. They committed adultery. Then he conspired to cover it up. And when that didn't work, he conspired to have Uriah murdered. And essentially, he was behind the killing of Uriah. It was just a, I mean, there's so much sin just all packed up in that one episode. He married the wrong person. But God's, you know, they had consequences, but yet still God showed grace, and through that marriage came Solomon. They didn't divorce, so that was good. An example, another one I've heard. I love someone else. Hmm. Love someone else. When this happens, um, when someone says this, uh, it's, Usually because they, they, they want out of their current relationship to get into this other relationship. And uh, I remember I had, a, I had this happen to me. The first time was I was in Nashville, and um, there was a guy that was in our church. He was actually a good friend of mine. I'd gone to high school with this guy. And he comes to my office and says, hey, uh, man, I just, I just don't love her name's, not, her name's not Sally, but I'll just say Sally. I just don't love Sally anymore. I just you know, I think I'm in love with someone else. So he began, he, he kind of already had his mind made up, you know. So we, we talked through it and we prayed through it. We went over so much scripture and he just would not let go that he had fallen out of love with Sally and fallen in love with this other person. So it, it, we went to church discipline and anyway, he still went through it, so he got divorced. He still came to one of her classes. We did a class on spiritual warfare, and, and he, he still came to that. And I mean, God just showed up and just got a hold of him. I mean, he became so grieved for what he had done. and He recognized how foolish he had been. And he learned the hard way. The grass is not greener on the other side, right? And... Um, he repented. It was just powerful. And so, you know, that was, that was going on about the time I, God moved us up here to St. Louis, right? Well, then after that, him and, his, him and Sally, they got remarried and to this day are doing great. It's a great story of reconciliation, right? But he had to do a little stupid first. And, you know, we can do that. And we get, we get something, we get in our mind, we get our minds made up. And when our minds are made up, it's hard to talk sense into us. Anybody like that? Come on, good grief. I even see people online raising their hands more than y'all. Um, absolutely, we can just, we get things in our mind and we just be stubborn and obstinate and just not listen to counsel, not listen to the scripture. But God, in his grace, still woke him up and came to his senses. That was, that was an awesome thing. But if 
you're in that situation and you're married now and you're, and you're being tempted to think that. Let me just throw some thoughts out there for you. I don't have these on notes, but the Bible gives us clear instruction on how to deal with temptations to devalue our current relationship and start thinking about another one, right? First, don't let yourself think or fantasize about or plan on how to sin. Romans is clear on that. Remember, Jesus says very clearly right here that to divorce and marry someone else is to commit adultery. So resist that temptation. Concentrate your thoughts on what is right and pure and lovely. Philippians 4, 8, Paul says, whatever is good, whatever is noble, whatever is trustworthy, praiseworthy, beautiful, meditate on these things. Really focus your mind on thinking about your spouse, not fantasizing about others. Second is avoid tempting situations. And we're full of them, right? I mean, life is full of those moments. I mean, your staff here, we have very strict guidelines. No, no one on staff is to be behind a closed door with someone of the opposite sex unless it's, of course, their spouse. We don't do lunch. We don't do coffee. We don't do anything with a person of the opposite sex unless uh, our spouse is with us or another pastor is with us. And even then, it's kind of not, 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 a pot, not a common thing. You need to have those kind of guardrails in your life. Because here's the thing. Every single one of us is open to that temptation. Don't think you're not. The moment you think you're not is the moment you're a big target. You've got to recognize any of us can fall to that temptation. There's been some very godly men and women who have. And so we've got to put up the guardrails to protect, to hold marriage in honor, our marriage in honor, protect that. Third, do not flirt. Don't flirt innocently by maybe touching someone else or making comments that could be interpreted as meaning you're available or interested. Remember, guys and gals, we all think very differently. What may be just a, a simple joke on the guy's part may be totally misinterpreted as a come on by her or vice versa. So just remember we're different. Fourth, uh, be guided by the true love that comes from God, not the, not the fleshly love that, that, you know, Greek word is eros, which means that romantic, passionate love from your flesh. If you really love someone, you don't do anything that might cause him or her to sin. Love is a choice. Love is never in Scripture. Not a single time in Scripture is love defined as something you fall in or fall out of. Love is something you choose, Right? Now, sure, there's attractions, there's chemistry, those sort of things. But love, ultimately, agape love is a choice. Fifth, when opportunities present themselves to, to be tempted or to sin, flee. Get out of town. Let me hear you say flee real loud. Flee. That's right. So in that moment, if you're tempted this week, I want you to hear in your mind above everything else this loud voice. Flee, right? Just let that stick in your mind. If you're there, you're about to click, or you're about to look, or you're about to touch, or you're about to talk, flee. If, if she comes into your office, you get up and you walk out or kick her out. Don't, you know, just, it's better. It's better. It's okay to be a little rude to save your marriage. It is okay. Lastly, six. Is unite, cleave with, hang on to your spouse, build a good marriage, do the work that it takes. Marriages are hard, right? Because again, you, 
you married a, a wretched sinner and your spouse married a wretched sinner. It's hard. But Jesus teaches us it's worth working on. It's worth living for. According to Jesus, what he did for us, his bride, it's even worth dying for. Put in the work. Another one. Kind of on the other side of this. My mate doesn't love me. It can be crushing to think you're unloved, but biblically our love should not depend on being loved, at least for a season, right? Um, Jesus tells us even love our enemies, pray for them. So you might be in a season where you're not receiving much love from your spouse, but just pray, continue to love and trust the Lord to do a work and um, see what he does. That's your responsibility. Another one is, I'm so unhappy. This can't be what God wants. So back to my friend from high school, that was another one of his lines. Is man, I'm just, God wants me to be happy, right? And I know I'd be so much more happier with her than I am with Sally. That was kind of his line, his thinking. I mean, is it true that God wants you to be happy? Sure, he wants you to be joyful. But he wants you to be holy. And you know, here's the secret. It's not a secret, it's in scripture. But most people don't get this. The true road to joy is obedience to the Lord, right? That's the true road. I mean, we have so many millions and billions of examples of people pursuing everything else to try to be happy other than being obedient to the Lord, and they end up miserable. That's the book of Ecclesiastes. Just read the book of Ecclesiastes. Solomon tried everything. He tried wealth. He tried power. He tried pleasure. He tried sexual pleasure. He did it all. And his conclusion was futile, vanity, meaningless. This is all meaningless. None of this satisfies. And the end of his conclusion was, fear God, keep his commandments, because this is the end of all men. He, he lived that experiment, so we don't have to. Just trust what he says. Happiness comes through obeying and following Jesus. Next, he's not saved or she's not a good Christian, so I'm out. 2 Corinthians 7, already talked about it. You're commanded to stay in the, stay in the marriage and pray for them, love them, um, unless they choose to leave over issues of being faithful. And then lastly, he would be happier without me. Um, she, your, mouth, your, your spouse might be unhappy, but don't use that as an excuse to divorce. You're not being noble or loving by helping them follow through with something that God does not desire nor um, love, he hates. You're simply sinning, so stay in the marriage. Work on it. Work it out. So here we'll just address as we get ready to close. What about those who have already been divorced? If you have divorced for unbiblical reasons, meaning your divorce was not caused by um, marriage fidelity issues or it was not caused by being abandoned um, by a, someone who's not a believer, um, particularly if you were a believer when this happened, first is you need to face the reality that you contributed in some way to that awful nightmare you had to live through and to own that, to confess your sin there. Don't pretend that divorcing your spouse was not sinful or somehow was okay with God. It, it was not. Um, Jesus has never said it was okay to divorce. He commands us not to divorce and added that if we do divorce for unscriptural reasons, again, we commit adultery. So own it. And then go through the repentance process we talked about. Um, just go through that very carefully, very strategically, intentionally, it's not fun, but it's liberating. 
find the peace of God through repentance. For those that don't, who think, well, God will forgive me, or anyway, that's that kind of licentious, I have a license. Here's what Jude says, ungodly persons who turn the grace of our God into licentiousness and deny our only master and Lord Jesus Christ. So again, please repent. I beg, I beg you to repent for your own sake and walk with Jesus. Let the Lord heal your heart from having to go through such a horrible thing as a divorce. But ultimately, this is for everybody, marriage is about the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a fairy tale romance between the king and his bride. Thus, Jesus is the king. Jesus pursuing his bride. In fact, 2 Corinthians kind of paints this a beautiful picture. It says, everything is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and now gives us the ministry of reconciliation. It's a beautiful coming back together. This is the gospel. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. And he has committed this message of reconciliation to who? To us, right? Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, certain that God is appealing through us. So we are ambassadors for Christ. We are to embody the ministry of reconciliation. Again, this is a, another layer to why divorce is so hated by God because it's the antithesis of what he's called us to do. We're to be reconcilers. We're to bring the gospel to others and help them reconcile to God. It was awesome yesterday to see you know, about 50 of you uh, in, our, in the Melville area, we're just going around, and we covered about 3,000 homes yesterday, giving the gospel to 3,000 homes. Isn't that not awesome? Praise God for that, right? That's what we're called to do. That's right. That's what we're called to do, to be these ministers of reconciliation, these ambassadors who are carrying the gospel into our community to saturate St. Louis. It's part of Vision 2025. There's, in, a, in this one zip code, there's over 14,000 households. We hit 3,000 of them yesterday, and we still got Four and a half more years to go, right? So we, we, we got this, right? We got this. But that's what we're supposed to be doing. But, but when the world sees divorce and, and other fractured kind of relationships, it's the antithesis of the gospel, which is reconciling. So it's another layer. So if you're married, fight with everything you have to keep your marriage. You know, I look at my, my parents, and my dad's not in good shape. I've been praying for a couple years, but... We're having to have a conversation tomorrow about possibility of hospice. It's just not good. I look at my mom and dad, you know, and they'll, if dad, if dad lives through this, this year is their 70th wedding anniversary, right? It's incredible. And, you know, they'll, they'll still hold hands. It's just, it's the cutest thing. Some people makes them want to get sick, but, you know, it's a cute thing. I, I love it. But uh, they still hold hands. But, you know, they had some really rough times in their marriage. You know, before I was born, they lost a child. And for a while, they kind of both went, kind of were, there was, there was a lot of temptation going on and, and stuff, and I'm so thankful that they battled through that because I can't imagine them right now without the other. You know, they, they need each other, literally. They could not live by themselves without each other because what one can do, the other can't do, and vice versa. It's beautiful to see how God painted that picture of the, what it's worth. It's worth making it. It's worth it. So forgive, reconcile, 
work through the tough issues. You know, we, again, we have couples in our church that have been through this. We have couples in our church that have seen the worst of marriage, and they're still together. They fall through it, and they're doing great. Others are getting there. You know, it's, just, it's a process, but it's worth fighting for. It's worth dying for. Just hang in there. And if you are divorced, go through repentance so that your next relationship, you don't bring that baggage in there with you. You don't become another statistic. You want to hold marriage high honor. But you can't do any of this unless first you have that relationship with Jesus. You can't give agape unconditional love unless you first have that love in you, in the person of Jesus. That's the first and foremost. Reconciliation sometimes doesn't even make sense if you don't have Jesus. So a lot of you, some of you, watching online or here, maybe you're in first step maybe to receive Christ, but all of us have a next step in our process of honoring marriage. You know, for the single, the single again, and the married. What's your next step? Let's stand, let's pray together. Lord, we love you. God, it's some hard stuff to go through today. A lot of emotions when we talk about marriage and when I know there's couples here who are struggling and battling right now. And God, I know that there's a lot of different emotions for those that are divorced or single, single again, and even those who have lost their spouse to, to death and their spouse is now with you. God, I, I know it's tough, a lot of emotions. Lord, I pray you help us just to navigate those emotions to arrive at truth. And the truth of where we are as, as individuals in our walk with you Lord, I, I pray if there's any here who's never trusted in you, the onset, that God, today's the day that they, they give their life to you. you. You tell us in Scripture, confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord, which means you are, you are king. And it's, it's an act of me submitting my life to you. Confess you as Lord and believe in our hearts that, God, you raised Jesus from the dead and were saved. Lord, I pray for anyone who's here or watching online, if they've never Trust in you and surrender their life to you that, God, this is that moment where they become part of your bride. And you become their husband. So, Lord, we just offer that to you. God, I pray for others who are your followers. God, maybe there's some here and, Lord, maybe they're married and they're fighting, but, God, they just, they just want to cry out to you again. I want a great moment just to cry out to you, to pray. Lord, to see maybe couples come and pray for their marriage. And God, may, there may not be much wrong with their marriage, but just to pray to make it better. God, I think it would be awesome to see you just stir couples up here this morning to come and pray for their, for their wedding, for their marriage, for their family. God, there may be some here who are divorced. God, maybe because of feelings of guilt, pain, betrayal, shame. They've never really went through a repentance process. And God, maybe today you've kind of triggered some thoughts and some desires to kind of go and, and do what's the hard thing to do, but to go through and can acknowledge their sinful contributions and confess that before you and seek your forgiveness. And Lord, possibly the forgiveness of their now ex-spouse and maybe children, if they were involved. God, 
I just pray, Lord, that you just stir their heart to, with a strong desire to do what's needed to be done to be right with you. God, we thank you for your grace. We thank you that divorce and all the sins that go into divorce are not the unpardonable sin, that you're gracious. Lord, just like you were with David and Bathsheba, Lord, you're gracious with us. And you even promise us to leverage all that pain and all that really nightmare, the nightmare we went through. You, you promised to leverage it for the good. So God, we praise you for that. Or maybe there's some here who just need that encouragement. God, just wherever we are, we just pray that you just, in your grace, move in us to help us take that next step. Just to follow you more closely, whether it's be saved, whether it's recommit, whether it's repent. Lord, we just give this time to you. Lord, I just pray that as we leave here, we're right with you, and we have in our heart that we are going to esteem marriage highly because, Lord, you do. Lord, we just pray you meet with us now in Christ's name. Amen.